sixth and penultimate letter in Revelation. And uh, we find it in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. It's a letter to the church of Philadelphia. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do. I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take away from your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Now, there's one significant difference. Could we turn the lights down a little bit, please? Thank you. Perfect. Thank you very much. There's a significant difference between this letter and all the other letters we've been in so far. Can anybody tell me what it is? Yes. There you go. There is nothing that God holds against the church in Philadelphia. Nothing. Positive. I believe that this letter is about communion of knowing God. Knowing Him intimately about communing with Him. I would suggest to you, therefore, this morning that this angel refers to the sixth aspect of the Holy Spirit, and that is the spirit of knowing. These are found in Isaiah, I think it's chapter, I did mention it a few weeks, but 11, I think, or two, two maybe. Seven aspects of knowing, seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. So firstly, a little bit of history as per usual. I think next week I want to try and get a map behind me so that you can get a picture of where all these churches actually are or where. Um, I thought about doing it this morning, but I think we'll leave it till next week. Philadelphia was located at an important road junction, both the Royal Road between Smyrna and the east and the road from the southeast from Pergamum to Attilia, on the Mediterranean coast passed through it. All east-west and north-south trade routes in the province of Asia passed through Philadelphia. Its position made it an outpost of Hellenism, founded to actually spread the Greek language and culture in Lydia and Phrygia. Lacking in an heir, Atalus, the third, strain, they've got really strange names in those days, Philometer, Atalus the third Philometer, the last of the Attila kings, 
willed his kingdom, including Philadelphia, to his Roman allies upon his death in 133 BC. In 129 BC, Rome established the province of Asia by combining Iona and the former kingdom of Pergamum. Like other towns in the region, Philadelphia prospered through agriculture. The soil was suited to growing grapes. Wine was an important product. Thus, the city was a center of worship as well for Dionysus, god of wine and fertility. The flocks that grazed in the area supplied wool and hides for textiles and leather production. Philadelphia was easily defended, but the surrounding district was um, famous for earthquakes. And the there was a um, big one in 17 AD that completely destroyed the city. The citizens lived constantly in the fear of aftershocks for afterwards. Christians of the first century lived in an uneasy relationship with Judaism at the time. Is my mic going in and out? Is it the batteries? Do I need to hold it up so I get a signal? They lived in a very uneasy relationship between the, Jew, the Jews and the church. The church had accepted Jesus as their Lord, the Messiah, spoken of in the Hebrew Scriptures. The church itself saw itself as composed of spiritual Jews who had received circumcision through the Holy Spirit. This naturally caused a rift between Christians and Jews because they both claimed to be God's people. That meant that Jewish Christians often endured exceptional pressure and stress. They were called apostate Jews by their own relatives their own families. Non-Christian Jews accused Christians of being usurpers. They insisted that Jews and not Christians had open door to God's presence and the keys of the kingdom. And it is this pressure from the Jews that seems to be at the forefront of this letter to the church. They were coming under pressure from God's called people. As we've learned in the other letters, there would have also been pressure on them um, from the other um, religions and gods that people worshipped in those cities at the time, the Greek gods. But the focus of this letter was the pressure from the Jewish leaders or people. And this is why that at the beginning of this letter, Jesus is introduced as the one who holds the key of David. And he says, what he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. This was a direct contradiction to what was believed by the very Jews who were persecuting the church. So what is the reference to the key and the door? To understand this, we need to look a little bit back into Isaiah. Isaiah referred to an individual of his time named Shebna, who had charge of the palace of the Judean king. Today, we might call him the chief of staff. The prophet Isaiah said the Lord would replace Shebna with a man called Eliakim. 
the Lord would place on his shoulder the key of the house of David, and what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. You find that in Isaiah 22. Eliakim would be a kind of a gatekeeper with power to control entry into the royal kingdom. As the king's steward, he would decide who could or could not have access to the king. The story in Isaiah serves as a prophecy of the coming Davidic Messiah. The imagery suggests that Christ is the only one who can grant access to God. Christ has given the Christians at Philadelphia and for generations to come access to God, and no one can take it away. No one can deprive them of it. Now, this, of course, would have angered the Jews even more because they believed they were God's people. They had the key to God. It was only through them that you could get to God. So the persecution this church was facing was not only from those that worshipped idols or worshipped false gods, but also from the Jews that the very people that were their family and relatives, from the very people that believed they held the key to the God's kingdom, the key to God Himself. So they were getting persecuted not only by those who worshipped false idols, but by the church at the time, who they believed to be the church as God's people. This angel actually refers to them once again as those Jews being connected to the synagogue of Satan. That is quite an indictment on the Jewish people of the time. He did the same, if you remember, when we're looking at the letter in Smyrna. He referred to the synagogue of Satan. So the proving of these, of their faith, the proving of the faith of the people of Philadelphia was the intimate knowing of Christ. The church of Christ was being established on communion and love. Those who knew the communion of the Spirit would see it through, see, see them through the testing that was coming in all the earth. Now, it's very interesting here. <coughs> Excuse me. The word that is normally used for world in the Greek is cosmos. Um, the word they use here, however, is based from the um, root oikos. Why would they use a different word? When, people, when the Greek language is different, when the, the Greeks use a different word for a word that they've maybe used several times in the New Testament, I always sit up and take notice because there's meaning behind it. This word oikos, it means to dwell or to occupy a house. It's about a household. You see, what they're saying here is that this persecution wasn't necessary. It wasn't to come upon the whole world. It was to come upon the household of God, the house of the Jewish people. That means makes it read very differently. This was a persecution that was coming upon God's people. No one else. In order 
that those who held true to God and Christ, those who professed God and Christ, would prevail. And they would become then the pillars of the temple, and God's name would be written on them. We mentioned right back at the beginning that the book of Revelation is always looked upon as a book that is way off into the future. I am not entirely convinced of that argument. You see, we'll come on to it in a little bit, but we can often make arguments and make strings and, and, and argue our way into the things like that um, a thousand years in the life of us is like a day to God, and so we kind of add it all up and we say, well, this is a thing that's happening off in the future. I mentioned it a little bit last week. I believe this persecution came. I believe it came in the fall of Jerusalem, because this is not a persecution and they used a specific word very deliberately. This is not a persecution that was coming across the whole world. This is a persecution that was coming on the people of God, the Jewish nation, in order that those professed Christ would prevail. And then they would become pillars in the new temple, in the new Jerusalem, citizens of the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. Now, there's a big statement right in itself, and we'll come back to that in a little minute. But it wasn't for those in the world. It was for the people of God. They were going to be the ones that came under persecution. Those that had true communion with God and through the Father and through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, they would be able to withstand. This, I believe, came about in the destruction of Jerusalem. Because Jesus himself said, or the angel said, I am coming soon. And we can do lots of arguments around this, as I've said before, but he said, I'm coming soon. And again, this gives rise to my argument that I placed right at the very beginning of Revelation. That I believe Revelation is not written in 90 AD. I believe it is written around about 50, late 50, 60 AD. And if Jesus then said He's coming soon and He's bringing this persecution soon on the church, that would fit in with the fall and the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So what about the New Jerusalem? What about the New Jerusalem? Popular thought says that's still to come. It's somewhere in the future. I want to suggest, you know me by now, don't you? I want to suggest an alternative to you this morning. And where I come from, more so now. Because we've had all sorts of movies about it, the end times. You know, and I believe there is a time coming when Jesus is going to come back. There's no denying that. But my interpretation of those end times might be a little bit different to some people here. You see, I believe the New Jerusalem is already here. There's a big statement for you. Wow. <laughs> that might knock some of you sideways. Let me, suggest, let me explain why. Let me explain why. Jerusalem was a city that housed the temple. Correct? Jerusalem, as far as the Jewish people were concerned, 
was the center of the universe and the center of God where he dwelt in the temple, correct? Yep, good, we're good so far. The new Jerusalem, I believe, where's the new temple? Good. Jesus built the temple here in our hearts. In true communion with God through Christ, we become pillars of that new temple. We are the temple. Christ does no longer, God does no longer dwell in a building. He dwells in our hearts. When we let Christ rule in our words, in other words, when we become submerged by His Spirit, then we become children of God. We've talked about this um, for a while now. Therefore, we become citizens of heaven, or, if you like, the new Jerusalem, or the true people of God, the church as we know it. You see, I, I really believe that the new Jerusalem is the temple that's already been built in our hearts. We are the new Jerusalem. Because God doesn't dwell in a place anymore. He doesn't dwell in a building. He dwells in our hearts. See, so often, as Christians, I think we, we hold on to this thing that it's coming. It's coming. We're waiting for the end times. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We're waiting for Jesus to do away with the old world and bring a new world. And we forget to live in the present. We forget to live today. We've talked about this before where we, we've read that we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, but yet we fail to walk in it. We are citizens of the new Jerusalem. We are pillars in the new temple. If the temple is not already built, then how can we be pillars in it? The new Jerusalem, the new city, is, I believe, the church. I believe that God came just when He said He would, soon. And we can argue that back and forth, thinking that, you know, a thousand years in our lifetime is like a day in God's. And then the year 2000 comes and we create more arguments that why didn't Jesus come back in the year 2000? Rather than saying, maybe, G maybe He came, God came when He said He would, and He destroyed Jerusalem, and that is a tribulation that is talked in Revelation, and the new city is already built in the church of today. The first fruits of the church of the first century became the pillars, the foundation for the church throughout the generations that were and are to follow. See, too often I think we live in the future. 
we should be living in the reality of the kingdom of heaven today because our lives are already there. We are already citizens of the new Jerusalem. We are already citizens. We're already children of God. Therefore, we are heirs to God. Therefore, we are heirs to everything that God has to offer and offer to His Son Christ because we're already there. As true believers in Christ, we, our lives have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Transferred. It doesn't mean we're being transferred. It doesn't mean to say we're going to be transferred. It means we are transferred. Therefore, we live in kingdom principles today. We live under kingdom rules and authority today. The church in Philadelphia, for those that stood against the persecution that was coming, not against the world, but against the people of God, stood firm and became then the pillars of the foundation of the new temple. They were given testimony of communion or God in all His ways, the testimony of love for His people. The life of the Spirit was to overcome the life of the flesh and the city of God, the new Jerusalem, was beginning its established testimony on earth. Church, we are the testimony of God. We are the children of God. We should live like it. Live like it. If God were to bring persecution against His church today, would we stand firm? It's coming. I believe it's coming. I believe the rise of the Muslim faith, the Islamic faith in this, in this world today is, is gaining pace. In fact, I was watching a program just the other day, just last night in fact, about young girls who were being drawn through the internet, 15, 16, some as young as 13-year-old girls being drawn on the internet through to go and leave their families and go and join ISIS to be their wives of the fighters so that they could procreate. Isn't that awful? I think that's shocking. But it's happening. So what does it mean for us here today? Firstly, I believe that our citizenship has already been sealed. And, you know, there's, all, there's this common argument that goes on throughout Christian history is whether we can lose our salvation or not. I believe for true believers, for those that have had their spirits entwined with the Holy Spirit, whose lives have been taken over by Jesus, whose whole life is about Jesus, our citizenship has already been sealed. It can't be taken away. Because Jesus holds the key. Jesus holds the key. He is the only one that can open the door or shut it. But you see, our citizenship has already been transferred from this world 
into the new heaven, into the new citizenship of Jerusalem. We no longer walk in this world. We walk and live by kingdom principles. You know, with the power of God living right within us, right within us through the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, living in us. Wow, I get excited about that. I still haven't figured it all out. But that power that raised people from the dead, that power that brought healing, that power that raised Christ from the dead, raised them from the grave, we have that full inheritance living in us. What's happened? Our lives are now sealed in the citizenship of the new Jerusalem. Secondly, it's communion or community or love for each other that we will be able to resist the challenges that come our way. You know, I often hear this comment that I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. Now, I can understand where those people are coming from. I can totally understand where they're coming from. But I believe that is not a scriptural practice. First of all, you don't go to church. You are the church. But you see, I believe from everything that Scripture talks about, we are born into community. We are not born into individualism. Now, you can argue that we, they maybe argue to you or me that what they see today is not the church as they believe it should be. But we are not born in, we're not born again to be individuals. We are born into the community. And we hear about that community. Jesus talks about this new community that he was bringing and building in what we call the Beatitudes, which are found at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. You see, we often look at those and we think that's a list of rules and regulations for new Christians. It's not. It's about a new community that was being born, that was countercultural. We are born into that community. Therefore, we become a part of that community. Therefore, we become part of the body. And if you, as we read in, in Corinthians, we read in Corinthians, if one member of that body is not functioning in the correct way or the proper way, then the whole body doesn't function properly. We are born into community. We're not born again to be individualistic Christians who go off and do their own thing. It's through communion and our love for one another that we will be able to resist the challenges that come our way. You see, some of us are weak in some areas. Others are stronger in that area. Others have weaknesses that, that we that we can help them through. If we don't work together and serve together as part of that community, then we all become individuals and we all become prone to attack. Do you know how wild animals go after their prey? 
You ever watch these nature programs on television? I find it fascinating. They stalk herds of animals for hours on end, sometimes days on end, until they spy the weakest one. It may be a new calf. It may be a, a, a beast that is not doing well. It may hurt himself, but they're looking for the weakness. Together, that herd will beat them off. To, and that's why they never attack until they spy the weak one. Our enemy prowls around in this world today looking for the weak ones, looking to pick them off. Together, we are stronger. And that, you know, part of why I decided that I wanted to come and be part of your lives for was because I believe in the community of God working and serving together. But what we've done is we've built all our own little kingdoms. You know, we're all doing youth work. We're all doing kids' work. We're all doing the same thing in our own little empires rather than saying, well, why not have a central youth where every congregation could pay into and employ, for example, a youth worker that didn't concentrate necessarily on your young people, but were out in the city, reaching out to young people in the city. We're building a centralized kind of youth work that all the churches, all the con I don't like calling them churches, but all the congregations we're paying into, or supporting. You see, we're about community. And the, child, the problem we have is we've built our own little kingdoms, and we protect those little kingdoms so hard. Boy, do we protect our kingdoms. And dare anybody suggest that we shouldn't necessarily focus on our young people, but we should focus on the young people of the city. Wow. But, you know, that's why I came, because I, I love the idea, first of all, that you took the risk of inviting me to be part of your lives for six months. But the fact here was an opportunity to come and show unity together and serving together. It's about community. Born into the community. And through our love for one boy, there's a word. Do you love the other churches here in, in Nelson? Boy, oh boy, oh boy. I tell you, there's so many splits going in churches because people can't get on with each other. You know, Jesus says we will be known by our love for one another. If we can't love each other, how the heck are we going to love the world? It's time we laid our differences down. It's time we laid our theology down. It's time to be truly communing one another in communion together. Trying to get churches to work together is like getting blood out of a stone sometimes. Sorry, that's my inner voice. Shh. We're born into community. It is through our love for one another and our communion together. We will be able to resist the challenges that come our way.
lastly, all new covenants have the ability to enter into the full covenant and communion with God and one another. You know, folks, we don't need anybody else to do it. Talked about this before too. We don't need a worship leader up here to lead us into worship. We don't need a preacher up here to tell you how it should be. Because every one of us have access to the throne room of heaven. Every one of us. We talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago. Is what would happen if all this was stripped away and we appeared at church one church service one morning and there was nothing here? Would you turn around and go home? Would you complain that the worship leader wasn't prepared? Would you complain that we didn't have any words on the screen to sing? Would you complain that there was no preacher and I didn't get ministered to this week? Would you complain or would you just simply worship God in community together? We're very good at complaining when things aren't just our way. We're very good at criticizing people who are up here trying to lead us in worship because they hit a wrong note or their voices aren't quite in tune. I've been there. I'm as guilty as the next one. We do not need anybody to lead us into that place of holy communion with our Heavenly Father. In fact, if we are not doing that ourselves, then we're missing something. We don't need anybody to stand in the gap. We don't need a priest. Jesus is our priest. And I want to say a really controversial thing here too. You don't need a pastor because Jesus is your pastor. But Jeff's coming, and I respect that. And I'm a pastor too, okay? So I'm right in the middle of this stuff, all right? But in reality, if you didn't have one, would you survive? I hope so. I hope so. Sorry, Mike. <sighs> Jesus is the only key. He's the only one that can unlock the door for us. He's the only way to enter. There is no other way. He has the key. Only He can open the door for us. I want to encourage you this morning to trust Him. To trust Him with all of your hearts. Not just the bits we like to give Him. Some bits are easier than others. But with every part of your being, trust Him. Trust Him. Don't trust me because I'm broken. Trust Jesus. Fall in love with Him. Our citizenship is sealed in heaven for eternity. And I know that I probably ruffled a few feathers this morning, but I, hey, I'm gone in four weeks. I enjoy ruffling feathers. You probably gathered that by now. I enjoy debate. I enjoy discussion. You know, and if we don't ruffle our feathers from time to time, then 
we get dirty underneath. That's what the birds do, isn't it? They ruffle their feathers to get them clean and we should all do that. We should do that this morning. As a symbolic gesture of ruffling our feathers. Bless you guys. Thank you. And um, yeah, we'll come on to the last letter next week. But go and be citizens in the community of the New Jerusalem. Go and be citizens of heaven here on earth. Don't wait for something that's going on in the future. Don't keep our eyes fixed on the future away out there because none of us know when Christ is coming back. Go and be citizens of the kingdom today in our communities. God bless.